Welcome to Pretty Good Vibrations, the podcast that both celebrates and analyzes the careers of music video turned film directors. I don't, I guess this time I'm with my friend DJ Bronner. DJ, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I have known you since I was in junior high and you were in high school at our evangelical high school and junior high combination in the Bay Area. We had a weird social situation where unlike standard high schools where jocks, basically athletes and cheerleaders or whatever else around that, where those are the coolest people. When I showed up at the King's Academy in seventh grade, I was delighted to find that the coolest kids in that school were in bands and you're in your, your grades, you had to be two years older than me. So you were close enough to be sort of accessible and you guys were in punk bands. And that is, that's how I first met you as like the cool older guy who's in a punk band. And oh my gosh, that's what, that's what coolness means here. I could get used to this. It was a really weird place to go to high school, really great in a lot of ways. But when I talk to people about our high school experience, I I have to talk about it through such a strong lens of like understanding that like no one else probably experienced what we experienced. Like the fact that as a senior in high school, I could be palling around the school with like a seventh grade buddy or something like that. Like it was just a different vibe than I think most people are used to. And, you know, like having some best friends that were quote unquote jocks, it didn't make them cooler than anyone else. Everyone was kind of even, and even, you know, the, nerds were still just as cool as anyone else, even though we did probably all feel that we were cooler than each other in our own ways. I'm sure. But yeah, that's just life. Yeah, it was it was an egalitarian spirit compared to most high schools. And it didn't really have much of a successful sports program until basically like after my year. So there there wasn't a lot of uh, cachet in being an athlete. So if you're ba- if you had a flyer for your band's show, I mean, come on, that was enough. That was that got that got you at the top of the rankings. So anyway, that's that's how we met. And and then but then through the years, like when I was on tour with Sherwood, uh, you just you were in a, a small group of people who like felt like we stayed in touch in an intentional way, in an authentic way, like. Not that there was a whole lot of like star fucking going on, like we weren't famous, but there was certainly like, you know, there's a coolness attached to having a friend in a touring band and you could kind of tell, you know, especially those two or three years there where, oh my gosh, like they're really out there doing their thing. Uh, we never made a lot of money, but <laughs> we had like a little bit of temporary cachet. That's that's the word of the episode here today. Um, rest in peace, uh, Pee Wee Herman. So the you know, you were not, I could tell you weren't that way. Like you were just like, you're like, my friend is playing in a band. Like this is how I took it. A guy I went to high school with is actually doing this in a band. And I think that's so cool. And I'm going to support that. That that's how I received it. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've supported you guys ever since the very beginning. I've always been a fan, you know, when we were on aim back in the day, you know, sending our own bands like songs to each other and critiquing it and understanding it. I remember the Ramones cover band you were in. Like, oh and you're gosh. sending me those tracks and I was like, this is 
weird, wild stuff, but I'm into it. It is funny. Yeah. I guess I forget that we stayed in touch. Anyway, we, if we go too far, too personal here, it's going to be fucking boring for everybody else. But <laughs> I just mean to say, I appreciated that authenticity. And like when we were in LA, you would often come to the show and, and I get to say hi and hang out for a little bit. And so when I was kind of thinking, which friends would I like to have on pretty good vibrations? Like you were one of the first people I thought about, cause I thought, Hey, this is cool because what you did is you turned being in I think we can say a, a series of quite bad punk bands. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. We can say that. OK, for which you started out as the maybe still at the beginning, quite bad music video director, but determined, <laughs> but fucking determined. You were so determined and then you just kept doing it and got better and better and better and better. And now your your living is you run a creative agency and you get to make part of that as you do brand work, which is how creative industry agencies pay their employees. Uh, but then you also still are doing a bunch of music videos. Um, and so that's just like a very cool trajectory. And I am now, I'm basically, I'm realizing now in real time, I am doing what you did for me 15 years ago. And now I'm a fan and supporting it. That look, my buddy figured out how to do this. And uh, so I think it's very cool. It's uh, your company is called tough T U F F formerly tough contender. And uh, mm -hmm. you guys are based in LA. So anything I left out about that broad picture there? No, I think you kind of summed it all up pretty well. Um, we could just get into it, I guess. Okay. So you put together a chronological list of music videos. And I think what we'll do is uh, music videos that you worked on, directed, whatever. And then what I think we'll do is we'll go through that and we'll just kind of hear the story via talking about uh, these videos. So let's actually start with before your first music video, you are working in the live music industry down in LA. What tell, tell me about that job. Well, actually, like I would say before I ever really got into live music, it, it all kind of stemmed from um, being in film school, also being in a band and trying to like weave a trajectory towards having a career as a music video director that was always the goal yeah. but i just kind of slipped into this live music thing and was booking shows for my band that turned into booking um then booking shows for other bands which then led to me meeting people but this was all sort of intertwined with like this career that i was like trying to strive for which was right. to be a music video director. It's like I moved to Southern California in 2001 with one singular goal to direct music videos. Everyone else in my film school at the time, all they wanted to do was make movies. All I wanted to do was make music videos. And I was one of the very few there yeah. at the time that that was the goal. That's awesome. So what brings you, how do you eventually get to a no use for a name video for the song dumb reminders, which I'll, which I'll play a clip of in a minute. So it's an interesting story how I ended up there. So my role was actually as an extra in that video, but it is the video that started my entire career. Um, a buddy of mine who I knew from film school was cast to be a security guard in this music video. And he goes, hey, you should come to the video shoot. He's like, my friend's directing. I think it would be really great to connect the two of you. Uh, his name's Derek Dale. He's done tons of great music videos. And it started clicking in my brain. I was like, I know that name. I think I know that name. And I look back on all these like tooth, tooth and nail video compilations, um, like 
Hopeless Records, Fearless Records, all these different compilations of like VHS compilations of music videos. Yes, I I remember those. Yeah, and I see Derek's name on all these videos. And I was like, oh shit, I could go be there with him on set. That's the guy, yeah. On a No Use for Name video. Like, of course I'm there. And um, so I showed up as an extra and I was there from the beginning all the way through the end. And it was the first real time I ever saw a music video unfold in front of my own eyes. Um, And I was a spectator, really. I think that we often don't realize that there is a raw craft to putting something like that together. Like even before you get any good, just to be able to complete a project. (laughs) In fact, I won't name names, but one of the bands I was in like almost had an album release cycle ruined by a guy who like never got his act together and it never finished this video that we started shooting that we were like waiting to release the record because so we could have the single video anyway, huge mess, but like just to, and especially before a lot of the, you know, software now has made certain tasks much easier to do in terms of, I don't know, quick editing and you're not rendering all these things on these old Mm -hmm. computers and all that stuff. Just the process, just the the sheer process of getting a video made. That's cool. Like you just got to see that happen. It wasn't your vision. You just were able to watch it. Yep. And, and after the shoot was over, I was introduced to, to Derek and, um, he took me under his wing. What did you tell him? You said, Hey, I want to do this as well. Can you teach me how or what? Yeah. I, I basically said, you know, I'm in film school. I want to direct music videos. This is what I want to be doing as a career. Um, what can, can you help me? Basically? I didn't, I didn't really know what was right or wrong to say in that moment, but I was like, what can we, can I do something? Can I help? And I think the way it kind of unfolded was I was acting in a play, something that I had really never done, but we invited him to come see this play that I was in. And he hired me to be an actor in another video, which then led to me being an actor and a production assistant. And then I just started being a production assistant on his shoots. And then he slowly started giving me work. What were the budgets? Helping me get work. So this is early 2000s. What what were yeah. the budgets of the kind of videos he was making at the time? You know, it was, I think, a pretty wide range of budgets. You look at like a record label like Tooth & Nail, who outwardly at that time has a lot of very large bands, but they weren't spending very large amounts of money on them. Right. Um, even, you know, I think No Use for Name at the time was signed to Fad Records. Um, even same thing like they have money these labels have money and they're putting more money into videos at that time than they do now but i still don't even think they are monumental like you look at a music video at mtv on mtv in year 2002 you know those are million dollar two million five literally million that much videos. for the for the yeah. big the big bands yeah in the millions for in one millions. music video yeah i mean i think on the low end five hundred thousand dollars but then if you're watching like mtv2 or these yeah. like other like the alternative mtv stations or fuse it's music videos in the 10 to hundred thousand dollar range right so, way 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 lower and, and very little way in between. Lower. yeah yeah and i don't I, I don't actually know what the budget for the news for name video was i think it was under 50 but above five yeah. So I don't, okay. I don't know. Something yeah. like that. Maybe 25,000. Interesting. And, you know, feel free to not answer this and I'll take it out if, sure. it, if it's too much, but like, 
give me the range for videos today. Like what are the what are the really big artists spending probably or their labels? And then maybe just like a really good looking in indie bands video. Like what what does that probably cost nowadays? Um, music video budgets right now are averaging somewhere between like forty and sixty thousand dollars, okay. depending the size of the artist. Uh, the bigger the artist, the budgets go up above a hundred thousand. But mm -hmm. it it really is a wide, wide, wide range. Like you could see it, you know, a, a an A list musician doing a hundred thousand dollar music video, or a, an artist of the exact same caliber doing a five hundred thousand dollar video. The the million dollar videos don't happen very often. It's it's artists like Kendrick Lamar or Ariana Grande or these like kind of tentpole artists that have these gigantic gigantic budgets. Mm -hmm. But the rest of them are somewhere in like the forty thousand to sixty thousand dollar range. And if you look at a lot of the bands in the kind of the the scene and the the place that we've kind of come up from in our last twenty years, yeah. like a lot of those bands are anywhere from five to twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. What's interesting about that is that recording costs have gotten way cheaper in the last 20 years. But I think, I mean, you tell me, it sounds like with a video budget, it's like, look, no matter what the technology costs or the editing software or filters you can slap on there more quickly, like you still have a bunch of people who are spending their time shooting on physical equipment. You might have to get a permit for a spot. You might have to ha bring in more people. Uh, you may have to pay actors, right? Like all that's the same from 20 years ago. Whereas the, it, the studio can now be so much cheaper than it was then for their actual production. You know, we're talking about the early 2000s and budgets, but budgets went down drastically by 2007 as like the music industry is kind of, you know, sinking a bit. And it wasn't until 2012 that the budget started to kind of come back up because the music video or the music industry is starting to do better with streaming. They're actually profiting in a new way than they used to be like YouTube revenues coming in. So they're putting more money into music video budgets. But what happened during that time was, Hey, how can we do this for as cheap as possible? Right. Who is the cheapest person that we can find to do this thing? And unfortunately that mentality has stayed there with all in across the music industry as a whole, every record label, every, whether it's an indie label to a major label, they're all operating under the same guise of like, who can do it for less. Yeah. And, and part of that kind of, it isn't that people are, are undercutting each other, but what will happen is if, Hey, we only want to spend $10,000 on this artist for a music video. They will find someone to do it. When 20 years ago, there was two people that would do it. Now there's 2000 people that would do right. that size budget. So that's really the biggest issue. And it's, and we're, we're kind of experiencing now with like TikTok. TikTok is driving a completely new model to this where people can just shoot stuff on their phones and they don't necessarily need a music video. And so it's making some video commissioners re reconfigure budgets to maybe not spend as much. It's just a very interesting time. Yeah, I bet it is, man. But but you are right. You still need all the people. You still need all the equipment. You still need to pay for locations. I mean, all of those costs are always there. It's it's what you can do in addition to those things that kind of changes the scope of a project. Yeah, it's just it's well, it, it's such an interesting world. Um, but let's get to the playlist. So 
All right, let's you, do it. We're talking. Let, let's play a little bit of No Use for a Name. We, there, if there's more to say, we'll say more. But let's hear let's hear this track for which you were an extra, but you were also a fly on the wall, DJ. You I was. were picking up as much as you could st- uh, lay your your sticky little fly hands on. Okay, dumb reminders. Uh, this is from Hard Rock Bottom, a record uh, I don't really know by them. I I'd kind of pieced out at this point on a lot of that kind of '90s punk stuff. Um, but here it is. I heard the message, then I rang it off the hook. I didn't get you to one a.m. Who was wrong and who was right in this distance caused a fight? Now I'm ready to give in. Honestly, I give anything to be with you. That that definitely takes me back to a very particular era. It really does. And I actually, you said earlier that you kind of piece out on this band at this point. This is a great, great record. And there's so many solid, I mean, Tony Sly is such a great songwriter, like vocalist. The harmonies are so good. But this record is just, I just love this record. It's really, it's a sleeper for me. Cause like, I think Leche Con Carne was probably the one that we all remember from the nineties that, Sort of, oh, you know, I think it was pull. more betterness. I think that's uh, more betterness is a great that's one. That's what too. brought it, that's what really brought the bacon. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think I said this, I said this on another episode, I don't remember which one, but like, I think he's a better songwriter than their records end up sounding as a whole. Like, he, you know, it, it just is a kind of, that. you know what I mean? It's like a little bit, yeah. it's a little bit lowest common denominator punk with like these surprisingly good pop songs and interesting melody, like vocal hooks and stuff like that. And he's not like the best singer either. So it's like the best thing going is his writing. And then the records just never really live up to that. Um, in a way where a band like, like green day where it's like, those are great songs. And like, they nail every single thing about it. And he sings great. And the whole thing's there that, you know, that's maybe a, a good counter example. Yeah, I think Fat Mike always says that Tony Sly was the best songwriter on all of Fat Records. Yeah, and I and I I agree. That brings me back to like watching that video and experiencing that day on set was such a wild, just a wild day. It was filmed at the Glass House in Pomona. Yeah, um, and there was like every type of person there on set. There was like mods. There was gutter punks like sitting outside, like throwing bottles at the venue because they were pissed off that there was a no use for name video being shot there. Wow. But yeah, it was, it was a wild, wild day. And I really enjoyed, I just takes me back. That's so cool. Well, let's go to the next one. Um, and I'll start by playing the clip and then you can kind of talk about it. Cool. So this is Emery disguising mistakes with goodbyes from their debut record on tooth and nail the week's end. And this is, I think 2003, 2004, 2004. Here we go. Just take it back
Talk to us about that one. Man, I have so much to say about Emery and Disguising Mistakes with Goodbyes. This was the very first music video that I was technically paid to direct. So at at this point, I had directed a couple videos um, for like my own band and a couple friends. But this was the first time I was given a real budget to make something. Um, And my friend Derek Dale, the one that directed the New Year's for Name video, he's the one that brought me this opportunity from tooth and nail. And he's like, it's like this, it's your video. If you want it, they hired me, but I want to give it to you. And so I got an opportunity to direct this video, but the f- crazy story about this one, outside of it being just like an Epic performance video, the band shows up outside chain reaction in Anaheim where we shot the video, I think like five or six hours before we started filming. And every one of them had a Sharpie mustache drawn on their face. No. And I, I kind of, I just looked at them <laughs> and we all just looked at them like, what is happening? And oh I, my gosh. I didn't, we didn't know what to think, but then they proceeded to go right into a very serious conversation with us about how they wanted to do something different for the music video than what we were planning to do. But this is on the day of the shoot. Oh my gosh. They wanted to recreate the journey music video where the band's like, the journey video, I forget the name of the song, but they're on the wharf and they're like playing air instruments. And it's just all these like crazy edits of like all the guys playing like air piano and air drums. And they wanted to recreate that video shot for shot. And Derek said, guys, this is one of the greatest ideas I've ever heard because for the last 10 years, I've wanted to recreate that music video shot for shot. But we have to shoot this video today that the label is paying for here at Chain. Yeah. And I had never experienced, obviously, I'm pretty young in my career at this point, but I had never even experienced anything like that ever in my life. That's kind of a pro move on his part there. That was like some therapist shit. That was good. Oh, yeah. We actually took them to Red Robin to eat chicken, chicken fingers and French fries to have this conversation and like just to discuss it. And after like they understood like, Hey, you know, there's a plan. We have cameras rented for this specific shoot. We don't have all the equipment we'd want for that video. Um, They were like, okay, well let's, let's just do it. And if you look really closely in the music video, you can faintly see on Toby, the singer's face, a bit of Sharpie kind of in there. That hadn't getting that they couldn't take off. Yeah. We, we shot the video over two days at two sold out shows at chain and you can't see it in all the shots because there's so much coverage and yeah cuts and stuff, but it's there subtly every oh once in a while. My goodness. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. There, also a pretty funny story is the, in the crowd there. So we're editing the video and we keep seeing this guy just going bananas in the front of the stage, just like singing every word. He's just belting it out. And we keep showing like shots of him because he's just so, so pumped to be there. And he's like in tons of shots in this video, 10 or 11 years later. So this is 2000. Yeah. 2015 or so I post this video on Facebook and I just say, Oh, can't believe it's been 10 years since I did this video. Um, It's been, you know, great to look back on whatever. And my friend, John Enyo comments on it and goes, that's me in the front row singing every word. And this guy I've, I've now been friends with for quite some time, but at that point I'd only known for a couple of years. And 
I, I just you I had never, to put it together. I had to put it together, and I like now I can't look at that video and just not see his face in the front row, just like yeah. belting every word of every line. Um, but yeah, this was like a really fun video to make. But you know, it was it was chaotic and crazy, and some you know just an interesting couple of days at Chain Reaction. Man, we played Chain more times than uh, it's either tied for the most we ever played a venue or it's the number one. I don't remember what it is. It's it's something like seven or eight times we played there. Um, sold it out maybe two or three of those times. That was kind of the last place that we could reliably sell out, you know, on the West Coast, which was the only place we could reliably sell anything out was on the West Coast. Um, so many good memories. In fact, my very first date with my wife was outside of chain reaction. We, we like drove a two blocks to Starbucks or something. I mean, that was literally, and then I made her a grilled cheese sandwich on the RV in this chain reaction parking lot. That was our first date. Well, do you remember when I helped you guys get that show at the little cafe next door to chain? Oh my goodness. That was early, 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 early. That like, was you. It, yeah, it had to have been 2004. Yeah, it would have to be 04. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Actually, I remember that day because I stupidly, I remember like bit buying You've Got Mail on DVD or something and then having that. I always had that in the RV. I, I don't even think I watched it very many times. Anyways, that's not interesting. So we're going to go deeper into tooth and nail type lore here because next on the list is Tumble Down, which is Mike Herrera of MXPX fame. It is his outlaw country kind of Mike nest doing country type project. Is that what you, is that a good description? I think you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. It's like him doing Mike nest doing country. Yeah. Yeah. Like in almost Sounds famous right. when it's like Bowie's doing, yeah, but if Lou's doing Bowie and Bowie's doing Lou, then Lou's still doing Lou. Okay. Um, all right. Here is That's Atlantic a city. Quote. Uh, that's my favorite movie of all time. Here is Atlantic City by Tumble Down. Atlantic City, where are you tonight? Your coast is clear and nothing feels quite right. You've always been there for me in the past. I wanted to return the favor, make it up to you at last. Tumble Down never caught on. Like I'm looking at Spotify and they have 1,400 monthly listeners. MXPX has 430,000 monthly listeners. So it isn't just me who didn't get what people saw in Tumble Down. Like, no, people didn't really get it. didn't happen, really, did it? I don't even know if they toured. I mm. know that they played shows. I know that they did yeah. some things. But I think what ended up happening is it these songs kind of became what Mike Carrera would play like on acoustic sets and stuff, sure. but not necessarily like, you know, an yeah. active project. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of side projects, like they work. And so yeah. people will be a fan of both and they'll have, you know, like, like I'm sure like 
Rostam doesn't have as many listeners as Vampire Weekend, but like, you know, it's that kind of yeah. thing didn't happen. It, it was a, it was an interesting time. If like you look back at that, I think this was 2007. Um, There's a quite a bit of artists that did countryside projects. Yeah. And I did another video around this same time for Chris Shiflett from the Foo Fighters who did sort of a rock and roll country thing. And then it kind of just became a country band as it evolved. But there's, yeah. there was a lot of artists at this time doing this. I, this video, I don't have a lot to say about it. It was just a real nostalgic moment for me. One, I bet shooting this in, we shot this in, um, half of it in Bremerton and the other half. Oh no, sorry. This video, we did two videos, um, over a course of a couple of days. Um, this one was fully shot in Bremerton, Washington. Um, we drove up and slept on Mike Carrera's floor of his studio. Come on. He, you know, he drove us around. It was like, just like this really fun thing for me. My, my friend, Tim, who was in the band, my new life. If you remember those guys, Barry, a band. So. Yeah. Um, he was getting into film and he agreed to come work on it for free. And my other buddy, Mark agreed to work on it for free because we just didn't have that much money to do this. And as we're driving up to Bremerton, Tim reveals to us that he has the MXPX Poconaccio Punk tattooed on his arm. No, and I've known this. <laughs> I've known this guy forever, but never seen him without a shirt on. Oh my and he gosh. shows us this and I was like, Oh my God, I got to razz you about this when we get there. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, it was just like a kind of early in my career trying to do trying to just take on whatever projects I could. It was Dude, totally and it was I would have done that Mike. for free in 2007. Yeah, honestly, like that to just have an excuse to hang out with my like eighth grade, ninth grade idol, you know, and yeah, it, a band I still to this day love. Um, that would have been incredible. Wow. OK, so the next one's fun because it's by a band called Little Hurricane which is a, I guess, kind of like a blues rock duo. And Anthony Catalano, the male a member of the duo, went to junior high with me at the school that you and I went to high school at. I don't, you guys would have crossed over at least a year, I would think. I don't, I think he left after eighth grade, but I had been, but yeah, we went to school together for at least two years because. Yeah. I think he was there seventh, eighth grade and I was ninth, yeah, you had been tenth grade. Tenth. Yeah. yeah. So is that, I mean, is that, was that part of it or did you guys reconnect completely otherwise or what? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We ran into each other at South by Southwest one year and this is, I mean, man, so much time had passed, but it, it, our old bands had played together a couple of times um, in like the early aughts, but like never really like, it was like, oh, hey, I feel like I know you. And he was like, hey, I kind of feel like I know you. And he came up to me after, you know, social media had kind of brought us back together to connect. And he and he saw me at South by Southwest and goes, hey, I'm Anthony. Like, you know, we've kind of met in the past, but I went to school with you at King's. Um, and then it sort of evolved later as Little Hurricane evolved that he came back to me Um to see if I wanted to do a video for them. I think at that point, like I'd ran into him, I get a bunch of different music things. Like I ran into him at South by, I ran into him at yeah. Coachella. I ran into him just a handful of just times and we became, became like friends again. Yeah. So here's Haunted Heart by Little Hurricane. <laughs> I'm being a thief in the night. 
They stayed at our first apartment that we lived in in Seattle one time when they were on tour, like kind of a last minute thing and left us with a record and a t-shirt or something that we had. Oh, how for, cool. Yeah. Still have the record. Yeah. Um, but we haven't been in super touch. You guys obviously stayed, you guys obviously connected more than he and I yeah, did. Yeah. He's, he's, Anthony's such a great guy. And this was a really, really important project for me as a director. It, it was the first this and like two other projects around the same time are really where I defined who I was as a director and really started pushing a completely different sort of visual style approach and aesthetic that I've kind of carried on um, all the way till now. Even though I've dipped away from it, I always come back to the same thing. And you'll see at the very last video in this playlist, like it's a similar style as this video, mm. which I did 12 years ago. Right. Um and I, I don't know, it's just, I'm really proud of it. Our, our friend Nate Morrow is the dead arm at the end of the video. Nice. Um, our Kings Academy, another Kings Academy alum. Another alum, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, sweet, man. Okay, well, let's move on to a band many of us are familiar with, The Used. So this is, this is their record, Vulnerable. This is also 2012. So this is a little bit after the heyday um, but they, uh, obviously have remained very relevant and they have a ton of listeners and <laughs> they're a big band. Uh, so this is a track called hands and faces, and then we'll, we'll chat about it. So where's that taking you? Oh, man, I don't really know how to describe where that video takes me. It was such a specific time in my life. I had been working with the used a lot. Um, I had been working on a documentary about the longevity of the band or like the legacy of the band, I should say. And that documentary will never come out. Um, unfortunately, there's lots of reasons behind that that I won't get into, but we made this documentary about the band and I had been working with them a lot and they had this new single come out and they asked me if I wanted to do something for it. And they had a pretty small budget and we threw everything at it. They brought in a wardrobe stylist named Maxi, who is somebody I've actually worked with quite a bit over the years. And Maxi is this extremely eccentric, crazy person. And if you watch the video, there's lots of weird outfits that Bert wears and that was all Maxi's doing. And we just leaned into it pretty heavily and just tried to have fun and just make something, something good and fun for the band at the time. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I don't look back at the video and go, yes, that's one of my favorite videos I've ever done, but it was a really special point in my life. I wanted to ask you about the, when you talked about the little hurricane video that you, there's this style that you you basically kind of establish and you come back to it. Even now you never stray too far from it. Basically like, uh, we can't, I, we obviously will, I'm going to track down some of these links and and put them in. Um, you know, you can you can obviously Google or YouTube any of these. I imagine they're all on there, but I'll I'll throw a few links in. Um, 
but since people are probably listening without or before watching anything, like, can you describe that, like that style? And then maybe you, you can tell me, like, it'd be interesting to hear when you went back to it on some of these and for what reason you might've gone back to it and why you thought that that approach would work or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think the best way to describe my sort of voice as a director is documentary based. So a lot of what I have made over the years has all sort of had the aesthetic of what you would sort of attribute to a documentary. Um, not li limited. I don't want to say limited resources, not a lot of lighting, not a lot of like over the top sort of yeah. set a design. A natural look, basically. Yeah, a natural look. And and even when I have had lots of set design or these more elaborate like sort of concepts, I still have weaved a little bit of that into those projects. But my that's really just, it's a visual look that I really gravitate towards. It's it's not always like super polished and super clean. It, it just has a more ethereal feeling. Um, mm. And, and I would say most of the time that I've shied away from it, it was just because I was trying to do something different or I was, I was servicing the needs of a, of a artist or, you know, the, the circumstances around like, you know, Hey, we want you to do this video, but this is what we want to do. Are you game for it? And that most of the time when I've like shied away from like what I would call my voice, it's because I'm trying to service a client. Yeah. Try, yeah. Trying to execute something that they're interested in and. Yeah. Um, but yes, as I, as I have found in trying my hand at different genres of music, uh, you know, or like thinking about tumble down, like ugh, MXPX, like, like what makes MXPX good is not like an easily transitive property. And probably that's the same for, uh, many artists and practitioners and artisans and, you know, um, yeah, it, it makes sense. So that's cool. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of pause the recording here because I am I want to watch one of these videos and I want to get like a I want you to tell me which one to watch and what I, and what I, I'm going to look for the thing that you just you just explained. So I want to have this fresh in my mind um, and then that way I'll have some language for it, too. And then we can people will actually have a sense of what we're we're talking about. So I'm going to perfect. I'm going to watch one of these real quick. OK. So I totally see what you're saying. It is like, uh, the first thought I had was it's like a 24 <laughs> style, like, but that's not exactly right. Like it, 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 um, I know what you're saying, but yeah, it's like, you'd be getting coverage of that, of the house that you're going to burn down. And I'm going to ask you about that in a second. Cause you guys literally burn a house down, mm -hmm. um, which is so rad. Uh, but like, you know, you're like getting, you're getting shots of the space. You're, you're, it's not like cinema verite documentary, not like we're just following these people around. Um, but it's like, like the more composed documentaries. It It's trying to find you know? a way to show human emotion without, through visuals, without necessarily making them have to emote. Yeah, something. like act and, with their face or something, right? Yeah, it's like I'm trying to bring that out in like everything I do. It's also like it, it, it's you'll see it again, like when you watch like the one, the Taking Back Sunday, the one video. It's like everything is really sort of centered around kind of being a fly on the wall in a moment versus trying to have like these overly set up things with lots of equipment and 
trying to make it look highly cinematic, even though right. I can do that too. It, and, and when we get into like coding the cam coding Camry video, you'll even see the same sort of style there, even though that's a total like mockumentary or not mockumentary, like a um, spoof on like eighties movies. It's like, a, it's just this thing that I just kind of gravitate towards like in how I shoot stuff. You know, that's really interesting. I'm being, I'm conscious of the clock here and I don't like Panic at the Disco okay. at all as a band. So really quick, is there anything we must know about Girls, Girls, Boys? Because I'm going to skip it. Otherwise. Just skip it. That's fine. Okay, we'll skip it. So let's actually then talk to, because the next track is Better Homes and Gardens by Taking Back Sunday, which is the video you just had me watch um, or that, that you, that you recommended that I watch rather. Um, so people haven't heard this clip, so I'll play a little clip of it. And uh, then let's talk a little bit more about that video. So where'd you get the house to, to burn down? I mean, I, I could talk about this video for hours. Um, this was a wild one. We So we shot this in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, where Adam from Taking Back Sunday grew up. He's mm. from Greensboro or a town next to Greensboro. Um, everyone thinks that they're, this, they're a Long Island band, even though... I will talk more about them being a Long Island band at the end of this podcast, at the end of this playlist. Yeah. But um, he's actually from outside Greensboro. So we, their man, sorry, their manager said, when we came up with this concept, he's like, I think they do controlled burns of houses down there. Maybe there's a way to film it. So my producer um, in Greensboro went to the fire department, asked if we could do it, said, Absolutely not. No way. No way. Yeah. Liability. Obviously, there's liability reasons because we actually physically burnt. This is a house that actually burned down. There's no yeah. CGI. There's no visual effects. This is a house that burned to the ground. Um, so producer goes back a couple weeks later with a box of donuts and says, hey, we really want to film one of your controlled burns. We want to make a music video for Taking Back Sunday. This is what we are trying to do. We can be safe. We can work with you. All of the 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 fire captain, I think that's what you call them, fire captain just laughs. He goes, we're not police officers. We don't eat donuts. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, my, think about that. Firemen, man, they got to be. Yeah, yeah. got to be in tip top shape. So that action of him going to the to the fire station, talking yeah. to the fire captain and dropping off the donuts kind of caught wind amongst this one um, station, I guess. Yeah. And a bunch of people there were fans of the band. No, and that's so they, cool. Yeah. And so they started to try to convince the fire captain that they, that they should allow us to be able to film it. And so we 
like a week after that, get a phone call. This is after we've been, I think at this point, we've been trying to make this video for like two months. Yeah. Just trying to figure out what, what can we do to burn down this house and, and do it without CGI. And we had a really tiny budget for this. I mean, I think it was like $10,000. Wow. So we. That wow was about how good it looks and (laughs) how complete of a product it is on, on that little cash. So we, so we get a call from fire captain, fire captain says, all right, we'll let you do it. Here's all the stipulations. This is how far away you have to be from the house. You can film all of the preparation. So basically what the, the fire, op, uh, fire men and women come and do the, yeah, that's how you say that, right? Fire men and women. I don't know. Fire. Yeah. Fire officers. They come. <laughs> Firefighters, they, right? What do you want to be? I want to be a firefighter. So the fire, the firefighters is the way you say that. That's good. Yeah. Um, The firefighters go to the house. They start breaking stuff and prepping it for a burn. And then they literally douse the house in fire er, and gasoline and light it on fire. And they all sit back and they watch it burn because they want to see how it crumbles down to the ground. So they do all this preparation. They do some like drills around the house and they let us film all of that. Yeah. So they're doing these like little bits of playing with fire basically. And we film all of that. Then they light the house on fire and we film all of that stuff of Adam at, at that house practically in front of this burning down house. It took about 45 minutes for it to come to the ground. Obviously there's like moments of it being like, super impactful. I remember touching the rivets on my jeans and my jeans were like burning hot. Like it was, it was like a sensation. I don't think I've ever really felt ever in my life. Wow. And we did, I would say every, all but one shot in that video where it looks like fires happening, all Uh but one shot is real effects of fire. Um, hitting Adam's face. Yeah. I was wondering about his face. Like, Oh, is that lighting or is that, did you just film it during a good bright section of the fire. Yeah, we did two different passes. One pass where it was like straight on during the fire, his like eyes are tearing up because all the smoke that's like billowing into him. He's also crying because the song is a really emotional song for him. It's about when his ex-fiance like gave him the wedding ring back or yeah. engagement ring back and said, I don't yeah. want to marry you. Yeesh. And, this is, that was like <laughs> confluence of many interesting factors around this yeah, shoot, so we, man. So we did one shot where there's like a light with like an orange filter on it, like hitting his face. Yeah. But this is before we even had LED lights that would do like flicker effects. Like nowadays you can do like a fake fire effect with just an LED light. This was huh. 10 years ago and we didn't have it. We didn't have that option. So it was, it was a really, I don't know. It's a really important video for me, really important video for the band. It was one of the weirdest and craziest experiences of my life. This was the second video I have done for the band. I've now done well, technically, I've done five videos that are out. There's a bunch more on their way. Sweet. That's awesome. So now this next artist, I was thinking of maybe skipping because it's like more like pop. And, sure, we can skip it. But no. But then I looked. I was like, who is Melanie Martinez? Oh, no big deal. Just a measly 15 <laughs> million Spotify listeners every month. That's like, I mean, Paramore is 21. So yeah. I just happened to see that today. So, I mean, 50, like this is a very popular artist and, and I, so I don't know any of this stuff, um, but this is a track of hers called pity party. I'm going to play a little bit of of it and then we'll talk about it. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter? 
I just looked it up while we were listening to it. This music video, it is my one of my two large, two most played music videos I've ever been a part of, mm-hmm. and it has 210 million plays. Holy shit! Um, yeah, Melanie is an artist that was on, I believe, The Voice, or she was on okay. American Idol, one of the two shows, and didn't go super far, but that got her a record deal. Yeah, and. She is a visionary musician. Like you may have never heard of her, but she is such a strong visionary. Her music, her videos, everything like this concept was 100% hers. I put my own spin on it with her, but we co-directed this video together Mm -hmm. and she, every ounce of the aesthetic, everything was, was hers. Um, And it was just a fun one to do. It was a fun one to be a part of. It's really great to look back at it and see all these music videos or all these, um, uh, all the plays that it's received. I actually think I shot the Taking Back Sunday Better Homes and Gardens video like a couple days after this video. After this shoot, but yeah. after this shoot, but one came, one came out before the other. Um, but yeah, I don't have, I don't have too much to say. It just, it's just one of those ones that was like a big it brought up a lot of opportunity for me as a I'm sure. creative and yeah. yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I do, I do have one question for you because a lot of musicians have also kind of visual talent, right? Mm-hmm. They can, their creativity does transfer over um, for a lot, for a lot of them. And they can be very sort of visually, you know, visionary, I guess all the words come from the same fucking root word. So it's weird to say them all, but like, you know, they, they, they really have like a cool aesthetic, uh, but they don't have the training and the, the, the technical know-how um, was, she, was she already uh, a director of some of her own stuff or was it more like she had a really strong, almost like a storyboard creative vision, but, but not the technical skill. She came to this one with a concept that was beat driven. So I, I knew every step of the process of what she wanted to show and what, what the end result needed to be. It was mm-hmm. very specific. A lot of times artists come with like a paragraph of nonsense, but she came with every detail outlined. And I just had to bring that to life in a way that made sense in a, and bring the technical knowledge to it that she didn't have. Yeah, She has now since gone on to direct every one of her videos. She's Whoa. directed, I, I don't know, at this point, probably like 15 videos. She yeah. has direct co-directed, um, a feature film about her last record called K through 12. And it's like a, it's like a music film, but weaves in like sort of music video type things. I mean, I mean, she really does come to this with like, like a real solid foundation as a creative in all capacity. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of interesting stuff around that, like what that's like. Um, So I imagine in that case, given that she was pretty established and 
she you liked her vision. It's not like you you didn't like see a bunch of problems with the things she was trying to do. You're like, oh yeah, oh oh hell yeah, that that'll it work. Was, it was great. I actually like it was a pretty pretty seamless process with her. I didn't have any any real need to make changes. Like I think we did change a couple things here or there just for budgetary reasons, but yeah. nothing where I was like, oh, this is a terrible idea. It was all great ideas, and you know, I remember we we had our um our production designer had gotten the wrong color icing for the cake at the end of the video there's a cake that says um i don't know what i don't actually remember what it says but it says something <laughs> and it was the wrong color icing and she was like she's like i will not let this video come out with that color icing because it was, she was that specific about yeah. like, the tone of it and yeah. so we ended up doing a cg or you know visual effects like recreation of the f icing for what for when the video actually came out. Wow, wow, like, it was very specific and like and and not not coming from a place of it being a problem for me to collaborate yeah. with her. It was really just like this is what I want, and you're going to help me make it. Without naming names, do you have any stories of kind of uh, a, a flip side of that coin experience where uh, an artist's vision was? really quite difficult i guess you don't want people trying to guess if it's about them you know i don't want you to endanger yourself in well any way. i i will say I'll, I'll just talk in broad strokes like yeah. i've as a executive producer as a producer and as a director i have experienced every single type of problem that could happen on set and every type of personality that you could experience yeah um I, I co-directed a music video with somebody, my name's not on the video, so you, you would never know that I co-directed this video, but I did co-direct a music video with, with an artist once and in every single step of the entire process was miserable and unaware of the circumstances that wouldn't allow for some of their vision to come to life. And, it, and part of that was their own doing at the time, like, you know, they're, they're the artists, so they're also in the video, but also needing, you know, four hour wardrobe and special effects makeup changes, but then, which would then only allow us to shoot them for 15 minutes so that wow. we could do the next wardrobe and makeup change, but not yeah. grasping what that was doing to the end product. And I, and then there's also just the egos that you experience too. But I, I think I've been fairly lucky overall in my career as a director where I haven't worked with too many people that have been hard to work with. Awesome. Well, let's move on to Coheed and Cambria. You got Spirit Kid, and this is from 2015. You keep on screaming from the top of your lungs. Mr. Who gives a shit you shut got weird man compared I to the stuff i knew from this, like my war tour is, years this is like the 
one of the few songs that sound like this though. Okay. I, I've worked with them a, a few times since then. It's all the Kobe that you know and okay. love. But okay. So, they but they're taking some, they're having, they're having some fun taking some chances, I guess. It's interesting. Like the way that they're choosing to go pop though, is like via like Van Halen, you know, yeah. it, it it's interesting. Like they're not going for like, modern day Foo Fighters or Kings of Leon or, you know, like big rock bands, they're doing like, well, what, what would pop have been if it was like Rush meets Van Halen? Well I, well, I think that's like a great representation of like who they are as a band. If you like think of Rush and Coheed and Cambria in the same sentence, they're like not yeah. far apart. No, that's true. I think it's probably more the Van Halen, the, the yeah, you yeah. know, the, the, the EVH style riff, that's pretty interesting. But but they always had like a little bit of butt rock in them, frankly. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of cowbell, a lot of, you know. Well, it's really interesting if you can, when you think about them as like a scene band, like, or an emo band, they never really were. They don't they really just, fit in that they way. Just lived, they just lived in that ecosystem because of the timing, I guess. I think that, sec- that second record, second stage turbine, that's pretty emo. Like that, that, ha- that sounds almost like a earlier saves the day kind of a thing. Uh, a lot of the parts, but then there are these weird kind of metal, it, it's definitely it's metalhead tec- stuff going on. It's the technic, the technical side of it was just so different. Yeah, that part was always different. You're totally right. Well, tell me about the, the project or the video or whatever. Well, I think this one kind of fits in that same realm of like, kind of trying to keep it sort of feeling like real and and documentary I keep saying is not the right term. It's like, I, I just like to have things feel real. And this mm-hmm. was a, a video that, you know, I I've done a lot of comedy over the years, but this is one of the ones where I really feel like I nailed exactly the style of comedy that I like doing, which is very serious. Mm-hmm. It's you're in on the joke from the very beginning. And the joke just takes itself seriously from the beginning all the way through the end. Cause we put the band in, as high school students in a, in crazy 1980s costumes and right. did a, did a heist video that the idea came from Claudio. He wanted to, he just knew he wanted to do an eighties heist music video. Yeah. So we put that together. And, um, my daughter was, my first daughter was just born and she came to set, I think like this must've been like four weeks after her birthday or mm. at, four, at four weeks after she was born. Yeah. And I don't know. It was just, I, I mean, I just love this video. I, it's one of my favorite videos I've ever done. I just, it, it was everything that I wanted it to be and more. And I'm so proud of like, so proud of it. We, I, I told my DP, my director of photography, for those that don't know that, yeah. uh, going into this, I was like, we could, sh- we can shoot at this high school for two days and have all the bells and whistles that you could ever imagine. Or sorry, we could shoot this place for one day and have all the bells and whistles that you could ever imagine or we could shoot it with you, me, and a very small team and do it for two days and we can get everything we want. And he was like, let's do it for two days. And so we went into it with like this approach of like, we're shooting at this super nice high school in the Palisades. Let's just make it, let's just like really lean into like the high school feeling. And I don't know, I feel really, I'm just really proud of this video. The video commissioner sent this to the, um, a wet hot American summer team. And yeah. he forwarded me the email after they saw it and he was like, they were like, this is awesome. Nice. Dude. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, that fun. might be one. Okay. I'll make sure to, to grab a link to that one and put that in the show notes. Um, okay. Next up, this is interesting. So I, I like 
some of the stuff I've heard from this band, Let Live. Um, but they they broke up a while back. And since then, the singer Jason Avalon, is that his last name? Avalon Butler. Okay. Uh, I think you guys are actually like real life friends now, uh, yeah. as I understand it. Um, but he is now doing a project called Fever 333. And my goodness, this guy is uh, a dynamic person and presence. I mean, just just he just has it and has always oh, yeah. had it. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, let's hear a bit of the of the song. This is uh, Wrong Generation by Fever 333. You fuck with the wrong generation. You fuck with the wrong generation. You fuck with the wrong generation. Yeah, you fuck with the wrong generation. So lots of stuff you probably don't know about this song that I will tell you. A lot of this song is a sample from a Travis Barker song called, I think, Carry It. And okay. that's RZA rapping in the beginning. The okay. guitar, some of the guitar parts in there are from Tom Morello. And then obviously Travis Barker is the drummer of the song. He's also in the video. Yeah. Um, the video, we try to um, pay homage to Blur's, um, God, my brain is all of a sudden just stopped working tonight. Um, Song two, song two, yeah, yeah. blur song two, and we just wanted I, I wanted to put Jason in a box. That was like my biggest idea, and I've I, I'm like, let's just put you in a box and just have you go fucking crazy, and that's what we did. I we we hung him upside down. We had him trash a room. I mean, he is just this. He is a front man that you cannot contain. I I've never seen that style of energy from anyone. It's just go, 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 go. And that is how he is off screen, on screen, on records, off on stage, off stage. Yeah. It is just who he is as a person. And yeah. as you said, he he has become like one of my really closest and dearest friends. Like we, we talk to him almost every day and we, it all kind of stemmed from years ago. I did some let live videos as mm -hmm. a producer and then I did, one of fever's first videos and then that kind of just turned into this you know blossoming creative relationship now where we've got like all kinds of fun stuff that we've been up to like we've got po a podcast that we've been recording um we have a tv show that we're pitching we've you know we just i don't know it's just been a great relationship and i love this video and i love this song because it's just fun and energetic yeah, man, that's so cool. I, I've seen a lot of clips of stuff that you've done with him, like just on in, following you on Instagram. And I follow him as well, actually, because his account is so interesting. And um, yeah, just a dynamic he, presence. He's a wild man. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think sonically, like genre wise, like Let Live is definitely more kind of in my wheelhouse than the Fever stuff, which is like more new metal. Like there's the scratching and there's. Um, there's a little bit of a new metal revival going on as I understand it, but I feel I'm a little bit outside on that. They're, they're really kind of 
doing like their own version of a rage against the machine kind of yeah. thing where yeah. it's mixing mixing genres but trying to stay rooted in like rock and, and metal but then also yeah. bringing in like those new metal vibes yeah yeah interesting well we got two left and these are bands that listeners of this show probably know all time low and then another taking back sunday video so first let's hear uh some of tell me i'm alive by all time low just got jumped in an alley Life's too short, picked a fight With a bouncer at a bar in the valley Got a couple bruises and a bite mark On my lip from kissing vampires Let's find a park, let's kill a bottle It's a start, if there's a spark Light up this icy heart But baby, don't you cry for me I'm messy, I'm reckless I fuck shit up for breakfast My life is a train wreck I'm burning interesting it sounds to me like all-time low going 65 percent bleachers maybe eight maybe 75 percent bleachers but retaining a bit of the more down the middle pop punk rock thing yeah that's an interesting perspective they had a pretty massive hit um during the pandemic for a song called monsters and they had demi lovato sing on that song and I think that kind of influenced a little bit of this new record because they became kind of a mainstream pop hit. Yeah. And so they're like sort of weaving that pop punk slash pop thing now. And I think they're doing a pretty decent job of it. Um, yeah. So Alex, the singer of All Time Low, and I co-directed Tell Me I'm Alive in another video for their song Calm Down. And, you know, it was a pretty true collaboration from beginning to end. We, um, we were in the weeds together through all pre-production, through production to through post-production. And I, I've done a lot of videos with artists and I've co-directed stuff with artists in the past that, that they're not as involved as Alex was. And I can say like, at the end of the day, this was his vision and we worked hand in hand until the very end to have it come to life. Sweet, man. Uh, I don't like, they opened on a tour that we were also, I think we were main support for amber pacific oh yeah back when you're on hopeless yeah and all-time low was first of four on that tour and it was that was was a shorter one it might have been like i think it was 2006 and it was probably like a month you know or something like that but they yeah they were opening and they were like 17 19 something like that they were really young and they were they did like a bootylicious cover maybe they were that young they seemed very young to me uh, like too young to become friends kind of a thing, you know? Um, but they did a, a really fun bootylicious cover on that early tour. And I was like, something about the way they did that cover, you know, it was very much the era of fallout boy kind of breaking out like early pop punk fallout boy. And there was something very sharp and like exact and catchy about the choices they were making, even in the bootylicious cover where I was like, Oh, that's, they're going to probably be, they're probably going to be pretty big. Yeah, they've they've done a pretty good job over the years of like kind of slowly just getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you don't you see a lot of bands like have a big record, especially bands in like the scene having like one big record or maybe two. And I think they've 
done a pretty good job of like going up, going up, plateauing, and then going up again. You yeah. Pank of the Disco kind of had the same sort of trajectory, like really big, kind of plateaued and out, you know, and the top, top of the world. Stratosphere, yeah. 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 Okay, we got one more here, which is The One by Taking Back Sunday. And and this just came out as as of the time we're recording. I think I was seeing a bunch of like release day stuff not too long ago. Um, we're recording this oh, yeah. in the mid middle of August. So here is a clip from The One. Put me at ease Brought out my best I'll let you in Ignore the mess And you didn't mind So I didn't mind Cause you're the one There's a thing here where a lot of the videos you end up doing are for bands. Like the way I perceive it is it a lot of these are the artists kind of shooting their shot and tr and pivoting a little bit uh, genre wise from kind of what they're known for. That's certainly that's both Taking Back Sunday songs. That's certainly All Time Low. It's certainly Coheed. Um, you know, I mean, it's Tumble Down even actually. That's kind of interesting. So, uh, have you noticed that? Like, is is that just the ones we happen to be hearing today, or or what? Well, I will say that yes, there, part of it is definitely like the ones that we are hearing today. There are some that I don't think would uh, you could classify that way. But I have, it, I've kind of have this like running joke where I do a lot of videos for bands that were really big ten years ago, uh -huh. and yeah. or fifteen years ago. It's and and you it's. I say that jokingly because like some of these bands are just as big now as they were 10 years ago. Big, a bunch of them are bigger and you don't even realize are, it. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think part of that kind of stems from that. It's like, Oh, these are new records and they're doing new things and trying to evolve. And you have this thing in your brain where you think of them as one thing, even, even uh, the used, for instance, when I was working with them on that record, a lot of people were like, Oh, they're still around people. People didn't understand mm -hmm. that that band had consistently been putting out records. You just stopped listening. You listened to the two records from 2004 and 2005. Right. But that band has been evolving. Same with Taking Back Sunday. They've kind of consistently been evolving. But a lot of people look back and go, oh, well, I think of them as the Make Damn yeah. Sure band or the yeah. Q without the E. And when they've actually just kind of been progressing. And this this video is kind of not a video. It's sort of the setting the stage for a whole bunch of stuff that's about to come out with them. Um, I've been creative directing this record and um, helping sort of design stage design for their tour. I did yeah. all their photography. Um, I know this is gonna, not going to come out next week. 
right? This is going to probably come out. This will later. come out in a couple of months, maybe a month or two. Yeah. Oh, great. Then I can talk about all these things that are about yeah. to happen. Yeah. Like they're next week, their album announcements going to come out. I did all of the photography for the vinyl and all the insert photography. Um, this is one of five videos I think that we're doing. Um, wow. we've done, we've shot, we've shot four, wait, we've shot three of them. Um, I'm actually like literally getting notes from my editor on one that we shot just the other day on Sunday. I don't know if you've seen everything that's come out, but we shot a music video in at a house in Long Island. I saw some clips and, of it, like, but not the, not the video, but like, yeah, no, people it, filming it. Yeah. Yeah. So we shot a music video on Sunday at a house part to make it look like a house show, but then as a treat for all of the people that came to hang out and be there, the band played a live set. And wow. I think, you know, everyone that was there kind of was like thinking that that was going to happen because it was friends, friends, yeah. and friends and that sort of thing. And they played a seven song live set and it blew up on the internet in the last two days. Yeah. And little do people know that now there's going to be a music video come out next week. Uh, that's about, cool. That's from that. So yeah, I don't know, it's just been a really fun time um, to be, collaborating with these guys. I've been working with them now for since 2014. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. I don't know. First of all, I've said this once before talking back Sunday is the best podcast name of any band that I'm aware of. <laughs> That's number one with a bullet hands down. There's no better title than talking back Sunday. Uh, but secondly, they must be a different kind of person than me because like the more that the people at the house show were my friends and their friends, the less likely I would be to play. Like that's like mixing, I don't know, work and friendship and stuff like that, where I don't, that would make me actually feel nervous. I think. Well, I think they, you'll see when the video comes out, because yeah. what we're trying to create is this sort of documentary through line through all of it. See, here we go back to this documentary thing. There it is. But a lot of the, this, the video for the one, and then some of this other content that's going to come out all kind of is connected through dialogue and real scenarios oh, rad. based around what we're doing. Yeah. And there's a conversation that we filmed at the end of the, of the music video or at the end of the house party where they start talking about how they had no idea what to expect. It was you know, it was a treat for the fans that were there, treat for the friends that were there to like, hey, thanks for coming. We have all of our gear. We might as well play a show, play some songs to make to make you excited. And then maybe we might get some, you know, authentic energy out of the out of the audience that are, you know, people going crazy for songs yeah. they love. And but they didn't really know what to expect themselves. They just kind of did it. And yeah. it's a it, it's a little bit of an uncharted kind of a thing. That's not a common move. Yeah. And Adam said something that I was no, it's pretty funny. He goes, he's like, once I got up on stage and I started singing, I was like, Hey, I'm here. This is me. I'm now singing for you. Oh, but guess what? You're there too. And now we're all here together doing this thing yeah. as, as one. And like, I think that's kind of a nice way to kind of explain probably that like strange feeling that you were mentioning. It's like, you're going up there and you're just like, you don't know what anyone's going to do or say or be or how they're going to act. And then it becomes something pretty rad and it's been like viewed on Barcelona sports now, like over 5 million times. Whoa, that's rad. Yeah. Wait till they see the video. That's so cool, man. It's, it's got me wondering, I'm not going to like answer this. I'm just, I just think it's interesting. Like the fact that Sherwood did not make it in this sort of, like some of my friends who are still their primary job 
is to be in a rock band. You know, I, I still have friends that that's true of them. Uh, most of us, that's not true. And I'm one of the most of, and, and I've figured out other ways to work and, and have led a more civilian life. If you want to use like a, uh, touring versus being at home kind of a thing. I wonder what I would be like if I had spent the last 13 years being a perf- like a public performer for a living and, um, especially like thinking of being like a front person, you know, like Adam's experience of, of being the focal point visually night in, night out for thousands of shows over, you know, two decades plus, like, wow. It's just a, it would just form you into a different, you'd just be different. It'd be mm-hmm. a very different life. It, I'm, I'm just fascinated by that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting watching them because I've, I've really gotten to know them as people and watching other people that I've had experiences with over the years. And you, you can really go two different directions. You can be humble and exist and, you know, understand your place and kind of just sort of evolve in your own way and try to be the best human being you can be. And then there's like the people in which I would put taking back Sunday in that world. I assumed, yeah. And then you could be the people that have even less notoriety necessarily and just let the fame and the ego just take over your entire being. And, you know, you're constantly looking at everything through this like other lens. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's other ways you could go about, about it too, but like, those are the kind of the two ways that I've sort of seen it. It's like these humble human beings that just kind of do this thing and then go home and they lead a totally normal life and do, you know, pick up their kids from school and make them dinner and, or whatever, or these people that just kind of, you know, bulldoze through life thinking that they're the best. Oh yeah. Because there, there's a real gratitude that almost insists itself upon you when you perform for a group of people who are in it and enjoying it. There's like a, I mean, it's a, it's boring to say it's like a drug. That's kind of the old, that's a cliche now, but there is like a, there's a true human experience of reciprocity at a group level Mm -hmm. that like, we don't actually do that very often. We do it, you know, we do it every once in a while at performances basically. And, but to do it every night, it's, it's really interesting. It's uh, so I, I could see how it could, how it could help form gratitude and like character building for sure. I think I was too young to build all that much character by the time I was done. <laughs> I didn't have time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair too. Like you're also not a fully formed adult yet, you yeah. know, to, to totally. have the, I, I always say, I don't feel like I became an adult until I turned 30 and, mm-hmm. you know, it just, I was a kid until then I was playing kid games. I wasn't taking everything in my life as seriously as I should have been. And I think a lot of musicians, um, can get stuck in that like mentality, even when they leave it behind and they just yeah. kind of keep going through life or there's some are able to keep evolving and growing up and changing and whether you're still actively doing it or you're just at home and there's just a different there's different ways you can evolve as a human being. And yeah, it's, it's like, I couldn't imagine what the adult version of that life was because I stopped touring before my prefrontal cortex was fully connected to the rest of my brain. So scientific. Uh huh. And, and like, which for males is like around 28 or so. 
20, 26 to 29 is kind of, I think the range. And, but like, I have friends who do it, you know, they, they do it responsibly as adults. It's their job and they manage to make, um, uh, a good life out of it. I mean, the, the ones who flamed out cause they, they treated it like they were rock stars in the seventies or something like they either changed or they didn't make it because either, um, you know, they hurt themselves or they, they stopped making good art cause they weren't, you know, they, they just were getting by on charisma or something like that. And yeah, so that's, that's one of those interesting things to, to watch and kind of parse out. I think uh, we've kind of summed up my career in a bunch of songs. Fantastic. Look at that. Uh, DJ, very fun to reconnect and a cool angle, like a, a really fun angle to consider. Ah, no pun intended there. Uh, the angle I've really, the I've really enjoyed this, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on. I think it's been, well, one, it's always great to see you and hear your voice, yeah. but, but also this has been a, a fun thing to do. Absolutely, man. Thanks for making cool shit and talking to me about it. Appreciate you. Thank you.